Greetings and welcome to the OK Jazz Podcast, episode number 76, May 27th, 2018. I am James Catchpole, Mr. OK Jazz, from TokyoJazzSite.com, coming to you as always from the rough and gritty streets of North Yokohama in Japan. OK Jazz is a podcast with no set boundaries or genres, just anything and everything that's been on my playlist over the last couple of weeks. Well, we kicked it off with an old favorite of mine that was the Dave Holland Quartet with Four Winds. That's from the classic album Conference of the Birds. It was released 45 years ago in 1973. And that entire album is just stunning. Dave Holland, of course, is the leader on bass, Anthony Braxton and Sam Rivers on reeds and flutes, and Barry Alchel on drums. I remember my very dear old friend Colin Smith in London introducing this to me more than 20 years ago, and I was completely knocked out. I hadn't really heard jazz like this before, and it was just so thrilling. Maybe a little bit heavier than I usually start the program with, but uh, if you're with me at this point, I think I can trust you to give the tunes more attention, even when they're a little bit more challenging. All right, so what's happening? Um, My apologies for no program last week. Uh, I was away for the weekend. I was up in Guma Prefecture. It's up in the mountains in Japan. I spent a couple days there doing some heavy jazz cafe research. I finally made it to the legendary cafe Mokuba. It's been run by the delightful Mr. Negishi since 1966. Um, I spent a a really great couple of hours with Negishi-san looking at his pictures from the old days when he used to promote jazz gigs in Japan with a whole range of famous acts from overseas. And he also showed me one of his original copies of the album Tachibana. That's a very, very rare Japanese jazz album by the Toru Aizawa Quartet uh, from about 40 plus years ago. Only a couple hundred copies were printed, and so they're very, very expensive now. But stand by soon for an announcement about this this album, Tachibana. There's going to be a re-release of it from the BBE label in the UK. Very excited about that. Well, to see some pictures of Mokuba and uh, other places that I went in Guma, uh, have a look at my Instagram page at atmarkmrokjazztokyo. I'll be uploading some more from there over the next coming days as well. We also had a lot of musical things going on this week uh, in the Tokyo area. I went to see the group Unity at the Cotton Club on Friday. They're a pretty interesting international band with members from Cuba, France, and the United States. They played a real mix of stuff, uh, ranging from a, a Soft Machine cover to a Stevie Wonder tune, uh, even up to some heavy fusion. And last Wednesday, I saw the trio, the Danilo Perez, John Patitucci, and Brian Blade trio. And my goodness, what an incredible show. I mean, those musicians really at the height of their powers. And they played one of the best sets that I've heard in a while. Dynamic, complex, uh, and always swinging. Just superb. There were a lot of local musicians at that gig as well. And reading online afterwards the comments from them, it seems everybody was just hypnotized. Very luckily, I got to sit down for a chat uh, with drummer Brian Blade. We're going to get into that a little bit later in today's program with a special interview. But before that, first, let's get into the music. Um, You know, the other day, my kids were here at home. They were singing with some TV karaoke app, and they asked me to sing a song for them. So I said first they had to stop whatever boring pop tunes they were playing around with and watch a clip with me on YouTube. And I pulled up a a video of Ike and Tina Turner singing Proud Mary live on 
some TV show in the early 1970s. Well, needless to say, my kids had never seen anyone like Tina Turner perform before. Um, I mean, well, there is no one else like Tina Turner, right? Total knockout in every way. So the next day, as they were in the Gencon getting ready to go to school, I heard them singing downstairs, rolling on the river, as they walked out, and I almost cried. I was so happy. I guess uh, my definition of good parenting is a little different to some people, but I know the OK Jazz audience gets what I'm talking about. Listening to my kids sing Creedence Clearwater via Tina Turner is just awesome. So, let's let Ike and Tina kick it off for us. Here is Proud Mary. OK Jazz, episode number 76, Ikimasho! Worrying about the way things might happen. 
Yeah, some very groovy Ethiopian grooves there via Australia. The group is called Mr. Ott, and they're led by the two Ottingen brothers, Matthew on tenor and baritone sax and Eden on bass. Uh, Mr. Ott is a seven-piece band, and this track is from their 2016 release called Single Shot. Been really enjoying this album with its mix of jazz and African vibes. I'll get another tune from that up an upcoming show. Uh, many thanks to Matthew for sending me a copy of the album. Uh, be nice if we could get them up here for some live dates here in Japan. Uh, there are a lot of groups these days doing the whole Afro-funk, Afro-Ethio jazz thing, and some are good, some not so exciting, but uh, I think Mr. Ott are the real deal. They put together something nice here. Let's stick with Africa now. Um, unfortunately, as I was up in Guma last weekend, I missed the latest aphrodisiac DJ night that's held at Bar Bonobo. And that's run by uh, DJ Dante, Andre, and Nick, three superb spinners. They put on a really fun night of great African tunes every couple of months. Um, I guested there one time a while back and had a blast. And I think I played this tune that evening. This is from the Congo. Of course, here is Rigo Star and Joski with the tune Malia. This is some heavy sukus here, so get up and dance. <laughs> Yeah, I'm 
Virgen de la madrugada, dame claridad y tranquilidad. Lucero de la mañana, dame luz y dame calma. claridad y tranquilidad los cielos de la mañana dame luz y dame calma virgen de la madrugada dame claridad y tranquilidad
New music there from Argentina. That was DJ, producer, and composer Chancha Via Sucrito, real name Pedro Canal. Based in Buenos Aires, uh, that track is Ilalo from a brand new album called Bienventuranza. I've never been to Argentina before, but from what I hear, Buenos Aires is a real city of music. Of course, the birthplace of tango, uh, but also has a real thriving contemporary scene. Well, I've been digging this album by Chancha Via Sucrito. This is a kind of a fusion of various South American. American folk styles with electronic beats. I'm going to get some more up from this soon. Well, you're listening to the OK Jazz Podcast, episode number 76. I am James Catchpole. So I mentioned that the other night I caught the amazing gig by Danilo Perez, John Patitucci, and Brian Blade. Um, that was last Wednesday night. Those three guys have been playing together for more than 20 years. Um, so they communicate in a very, very deep and profound manner. They put on just a stunning show. Well, very luckily, before the gig, I was able to sit down with drummer Brian Blade to talk about his very varied career. Brian is not only an accomplished drummer, maybe one of the best out there, but also a songwriter, vocalist, guitarist, and band leader. If you have a look at his discography as a sideman as well, you'll see that he's played with musicians ranging from Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan to Bill Frisell and Kenny Garrett. Well, Brian was very, very down to earth and thoughtful in our interview. He was—he uh, only had about 15 or 20 minutes, but he really took the time to, to chat with me, to think about the questions and, and give some pretty deep answers. So here's our conversation. This is me and Brian Blade. And we'll follow it up with a tune from Brian's fellowship band. We're going to hear a track called Broken Leg Days from their 2017 album Body and Shadow. But first up, here's my interview. This is Brian Blade. So thankful, you know, for... Um, the folks who, who care enough to to um, to listen, collect, you know these 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 histories on record. <laughs> you know it's really beautiful, and to support the living moment as well. So it's really it's the past, present, and the future. It's really it's and really they have an appreciation of the music that has a lot of depth to it, um, especially considering that often most of these people can't speak English and yet, mm. and this is our music from the United States where, where it's not appreciated to that level, sadly, you know? Yeah, I suppose it's, it's a interesting, um, I guess you have to leave sometimes to go where you appreciate it <laughs> as yeah. much as, you know. Sure. Um, well, jazz men have been doing that for, for yeah, decades, yeah, right? That's you true. Know? Um, so I wanted to ask you a couple questions. Uh, I know that you were born in Shreveport, mm-hmm. in Louisiana, mm-hmm. um, but you moved to New Orleans when you were about 17 or 18? Yeah, 17. Oh, so New Orleans obviously has a ridiculously famous drummer tradition, mm-hmm. but what was it like in Shreveport growing up? I know you grew up in the church. Was yeah. that your first exposure to music? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gospel and um, sort of the... the things that come from it <laughs> uh, in, in terms of soul and, and music that I grew up as a, with as a kid after hearing the church, you know, experiencing the church rather. But yeah, you know, Shreveport being six hours north of New Orleans and right at that bound, you know, the border of Texas and Arkansas, there's a whole nother mixture of music that happens. It's not, it's not Creole and Acadian culture as much as it is. Tex-Mex and you know sort of country that filters through the center of the of the nation so and of course gospel 
So there was the difference for me. And until I went to New Orleans, all of that parading and Mardi Gras and street beats and it wasn't a reality for me. You know, it was a brand new experience. Yeah, I because when I I just had assumed. You know, I heard Louisiana. I just thought, oh, another of the great New Orleans drummers. You know, no one, no wonder. You know, of course. <laughs> so that's interesting. So, I mean, it's it's much more Tex Tex kind of than it is Cajun yeah. New yeah. Orleans style totally. swampy kind of R and B. That's true. Right, right. And your dad was a, a pastor. He still is. He still is a pastor. Yeah, okay. man. Since '61, he's been pastor. Well, he really became a minister when he was 13. Um, and the music in the church, I know from talking to a lot of other musicians, uh, black American musicians, you know, yeah. um, growing up when most of them did grow up with the church, music was such an essential part of it. It wasn't like you had to go study it. It was just something you had as part of your life. Yeah, yes, yeah, true. I'm so thankful for that because it's the bedrock of, you know, every other situation after the fact is built upon, you know. It, whether it's a dive or some concert hall or a club, it's still praise. You know, the music is still holy to me, you know, a gift. Mm-hmm. And I have to treat it with that regard every time or else there's something not, not uh, true about why I'm here. And what, how old were you when you started playing the drums? Thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. And w- was that was that in the, in the church as well? Or did you play at school? No. Uh, well, it was blurry. You know, I was playing in school and, and started to take lessons as well. It was more so symphonic band at that age. Um, but my brother's a drummer too. He's five years older, Brady. So I was sort of following him. So I was playing around the house. You know, when he wasn't at the drums. <laughs> so. Yeah. And what were your first sort of musical interests? Um, we're roughly the same age. I think you're just a couple years older than me. But mm. um, what were you listening to as a kid in, in the late 70s and early 80s? The same stuff we were listening to in New York? Or was it more local? It was Stevie Wonder yeah. and Al Green and mm. Earth, Wind, Fire and, <laughs> and the Jacksons. You know, it was everything that, that was great and is great. Um, yeah. Now, you, you started uh, really coming out on the scene in the early 90s, uh, playing with a bunch of different groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you started your own uh, fellowship band. It's yeah. not 20 years ago. Yeah. Right? Um, how did that come together? It was because I met John Coward, the pianist in the, in the band, when I moved to New Orleans in 1988. He was already studying at Loyola University. and We just became fast friends and bonded and started to make music together uh, and uh, it really that was really the birth of the fellowship band it's 1988 and uh, it's still you know by no by no doing of mine it's still we still exist as a band and still everyone's committed to our opportunities when we have them yeah, I haven't I haven't seen you guys over here though. <laughs> you know, we've been uh, some years ago. We yeah. haven't been in a few years. It's it's been it's been a challenge because you know I deal with all the bookings myself. So trying to find the the time to really organize 
Yeah. And that's a big band for listeners who don't know. There's a lot of members. So. Well, yeah, it can be five or six, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, so it's yeah. getting know. the schedule sorted and getting everybody on board with the, with the finances. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's different when you're a leader, right? You know, yeah, that's <laughs> it's a responsibility, but I'm thankful to, mm. to have it, you know, to do. Mm. <laughs> well, I think that um, a lot of people in Japan, uh, myself included, we know you as uh, a jazz drummer, as one of the jazz drummers right now. Um, but a lot of people maybe don't know that you have played with so many different uh, artists outside the jazz realm. Um, I was looking at your discography, and there were a lot of albums on there I didn't even know. Okay. Uh, I wanted to ask you in particular about a couple of them. Of course, the first one was uh, back in 97, you played on Time Out of Mind by Bob Dylan. Oh, yeah. Now, you would have been, what, 20, 26, 27 years old then? So what was it like going into the studio with Bob Dylan, Daniel Anwar, all these guys, you know, and, and you're coming in, you're the session drummer. What, what kind of scene was that? Uh, it was, you know, a privilege, obviously. Uh, honored. Uh, I, I know the contribution um, that comes from Bob Dylan's music and his his gift as an artist. But my dear friend Daniel Lanois was really the reason I was there. I've been making music with Daniel since we met in New Orleans as well in 1993, roughly. And he's also from Louisiana, right? No, he's, he's not. <laughs> it's a Acadian culture, but oh. by way of Quebec. <laughs> oh, right, of course. Yeah, yeah, I know he recorded that album about, right. Exactly. That's right, that's right. But yeah. he made his way down to Mississippi uh -huh. and ended up there. But yeah, it was because of Daniel and his trust and, you know, including me and it was really a privilege to, you know, just be in the room and see how Bob would uh, uh, sort of be in search of 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 the magic as as much as anybody. You know, he, he didn't have the answers. He had the poetry. <laughs> he had the he had the the song. It was perfectly placed on the page. But in terms of all of us making music of it. He was he was looking for it too. So mm. it was great to see that you know someone you revere and you feel like, oh they they know it. You know it's not still a mystery and it makes it beautiful to know you know that we're. It also brings them a bit more down to earth, right? <laughs> you'd be like, oh this guy's also trying to figure it out. You yeah. know, yeah. I, I mean sort of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean it, it's great to to be in on it because mm -hmm. you know he. He's gonna he's gonna deliver something great. Mm. He's gonna bring um, what's needed to the moment. Mm. But your part in it and mm. everyone's collective uh, 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 part that you know it, what what comes from that chemical you don't know. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a fan of uh, Wolfgang Wusbier, guitarist, mm. and I I had not known that you played with him as well. I actually met him yeah. here a couple years ago. Yeah. You've done three records with him. Mm -hmm. uh, how did you meet him? He, uh, Wolfgang is from Austria. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a guitarist, uh, plays some other instruments as well, I think. How did you first meet up with him and start recording? We were kind of um, a part of a, a school in in Denmark, in Valakilda, and we met there and became great friends. And been playing ever since. Uh, man, that that might be how many years is that? I don't know. Not twenty years, but yeah. <laughs> so, I think the first record was two thousand three. Okay, yeah. wow. 
Well, so we're going back 15 already. So yeah, yeah. if not more. <laughs> so you're in Tokyo right now um, with the guys, uh, with Danilo, Danilo Perez, John Patitucci. Yeah. Um, very excited to see the show tonight. Okay. Um, what's the trio about? Um, it's about uh, creating creating a, a voice together, creating a um, a moment together that that really, I think, it honors our mentor, Wayne Shorter, whom we've been part of, you know, his quartet, the quartet for 18 years now. <laughs> so to, to do it just the three of us, you know, he's always there in his influence and we try and, um, you know, write how we want the world to be, you know, present music of this nature. We, we were talking a little bit uh, before recording about one of your most interesting projects, which was a solo project you did called Mama Rosa. Mm. Um, who was Mama Rosa, and what was that project about for people who don't know? Mama Rosa was my grandmother, and my maternal grandmother, and she kind of, she really raised me, and she was the, the nurturer and matriarch of the family. And so I started writing these songs um, when I was away from home and missing her and missing my mom and dad and thinking about my life so far. And all those songs on Mama Rosa sort of talk about, you know, um, the life up to a certain point. And this is, this is not a jazz album, per se, and this is not an instrumental album. I was listening to it uh, yesterday and this morning. Um, this is full-on singer-songwriter mode, Brian Blade playing the guitar, yeah. not on the drum kit for the most part, right? Uh, I think a lot of people are quite surprised that you, you, had, that, you had that in you. Yeah. Uh, how many years were you writing these songs for? I don't know. I guess when I started writing, writing in general for the Fellowship Band as well, and then in the early to mid 90s these songs were making their way out as well and I've I never filtered anything I just I just wrote it down recorded it my for myself like I say for my own little tape machine diary but then later they started to to um, pile up those songs and I realized the importance of uh, as an artist, you know, not that everything you do should be shared <laughs> with everyone, but there's a there's a power and necessity to release what comes to you um, because it sets it sets the fullness of something in motion. Until you release it, there's only part. There's only part of of the promise. Mm -hmm. So I released that record. Uh, my wife, you know, heard one of the songs on the record, which was about her because we met when we were sixteen, and we had been. I had gone to college anyway. Twenty years go by, she hears a song on that record, and we come back together. We've been married now for almost eight years. So. Just that alone, the fact that the the music being out there brought her back to me. That's that's awesome. You have, yeah. you have to feel that's, validated by yeah. doing your responsibility mm. and mm. of doing what you're 
supposed to do, no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Sure. Just a couple more questions there for it. Um, what do you got coming up over the next year or so? Man, um, more fellowship band touring and recording. Uh, in the states. Now. And where are you based now in the states? I'm still in Shreveport. You still in Shreveport? I'm coming right back there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm coming back here with Wolfgang Moosefield. Oh, you are great. In, okay. in, uh, in a few months, so I will keep your. I'll see you then. Yeah. And sure. Oh, you will know before. That's I, that's great. Yeah. We can do. I, it. I must have missed that announcement. No, great. no, we can do a talk yeah. together maybe. That'd be great. And uh, I, I can't let you go without asking. Um, for, you, for one of your I'm sure, I'm sure there's many but one of your best Wayne Shorter stories <laughs> you hear a lot of things about Wayne Shorter from musicians uh, never met him obviously but uh, you know maybe just just give us a little taste of uh, a taste of one <laughs> my best one I can't even tell what you think oh oh man it's so hard <laughs> uh, I just have to laugh because he he inspires such joy in my life and giving me so much. I don't know, man. I, it's hard to share. I just, I just think about sitting on the couch and watching movies with him. To be honest, and, you know, all those times on stage, obviously, and all the music he's giving the world. But it's that personal time, and he's. We're watching sometimes movies that are horrible, <laughs> but he finds the one thing that it's like, ooh. You know, he's just, he spots, he's a sharpshooter. And, you know, I just, I just thank him for, for, for those moments, you know. That's great. It's, it's so interesting because, I mean, he's, he's a good, almost 40 years older than, than, you know, the guys, the yeah. guys in the trio. Right. Um, but you spent so many years with him. Uh, I can only imagine how much you learned, as you said, not just musically. But exactly. the way that he approaches looking at things, yeah. I can sense just from that little story yeah. that he's got his own unique perspective on. He things. does, you know, like you know, being we, you know, we try and we feel like, oh, we have, you know, there's just nights or times where we we're reaching and we we kind of miss it maybe, but we don't. He's like, it's not a mistake; it's an opportunity. <laughs> so he just instills this like. This, this value in things, you know, that, that most people, they only see the, the murk and the mire. They don't see the lotus flower. He sees the lotus flower. Brian, thank you so much. Great chatting with you, man. Look forward to the gig tonight, and I'll see you for sure when you're back with uh, Wolfgang Muspiel in a couple months. Yes. All right, thanks yes. a lot. You too, James.
Beautiful stuff there. That was from the Sudan in Northern Africa. That was Hamza Eldin playing the oud and singing from his 1995 album Lily of the Nile. And that was a tune called Benit Baladna. And before Hamza Eldin, we heard John Zorn. That was a tune called Sekel. And it comes from John Zorn's Filmworks Volume 14, Hiding and Seeking, the soundtrack. That's pretty cool. Back to back right there. A Jewish New York jazz legend with a Nubian Sudanese Oud and Tar master. Well, I hope you enjoyed the tunes this week. You've been listening to the OK Jazz podcast, episode number 76. For this and every episode's playlist, check the OK Jazz program page at tokyojazzsite.com. You can stream the show there or you can listen via iTunes or SoundCloud. And be sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at at Mark Mr. OK Jazz Tokyo. Um, have a listen to my other monthly program called Tokyo Jazz Map on jjazz.net. And that's a show where I introduce all new Japanese jazz releases uh, with some special guest interviews as well. And if you'd like to get in touch with me in Japanese or English, you can email me at mrokjazz at tokyojazzsite.com. Before we get out of here, very quick comment on what's currently happening in the United States. Um, the Immigration Customs Enforcement Agency, known as ICE in America, they're all over the news right now uh, for their new policy of separating children and parents who cross into the border of the United States illegally. Now, apparently they are taking children as young as one year old and forcibly separating them from their families. And they've admitted that now more than 1,700 children are, quote, unaccounted for, unquote, with their parents having no idea where they are. This is so heinous, so absolutely despicable. I am almost uh, really lost for words. Uh, just when I think that the United States, with all the foreign wars and unfair business practices, that they can't sink any lower. Um, the Trump administration manages to, to, to find a new low. It's, it's just horrific. Um, and as an American, having to talk about this and explain to some of my Japanese friends and family why this kind of thing goes on in the U.S. is very, very difficult. But, uh, you know, I take solace in music and my family and, you know, hopefully by building awareness and protesting as much as we can from overseas, uh, maybe we can have some impact. 
Anyways, apologies for the political intrusion there. Um, Let's go out today then with one from America to remind us of the great things that come from my home country. One of those, of course, being jazz. Well, I was talking to a good friend the other day about this record um, and was shocked when they said that they had it. Um, I always thought it was a really rare one. And the title is actually called Very Rare. It's by Elvin Jones, and it's an album uh, where Elvin is the leader, featuring Art Pepper, Sir Roland Hanna, and Richard Davis. I mean, what a band that is. This was released on the Japanese trio label in 1978, 40 years ago, and it's one of my favorites. So let's have a listen to The Witching Hour by Elvin Jones from the album Very Rare. Minasama, kite te arigatou gozaimasu. Mata kondo, James Catchpole deshita.